If you knew you were starting a business that would generate you $1 million per year, how much would you be willing to invest today? Travis Ferris is a real estate entrepreneur, sales coach, team leader, public speaker, and community builder. He's done the work with over $500 million in total sales. Now he's welcoming you to the table. But make sure you're ready. The coffee is for closers only. The mindset's the one thing that's going to keep you going. Coffee for Closers is powered by Collab Agents. Here's your host, Travis Ferris. Welcome, listeners, to the Coffee for Closers powered by Collab podcast. Today, I have a special guest. He's a, a brother of mine from a an organization that we are part of. That we'll go over that story here in a second. But he's plugged into our world, and you know, this is something that I'm super passionate about, especially like in the Coffee for Closers realm. Uh, the difference between like branding, marketing, sales, what they are, the differences behind them, how they can actually add to your business. We're super excited because we actually had our guest today plug into our world as essentially our chief marketing officer come through and build out a bunch of cool stuff into our world uh, that we've been trying to do ourselves for a long time and it just wasn't working. So, you know, at this point, we wanted to bring in the best. So uh, without further ado, I've got my buddy Jennings DePriest. The one, the myth, the man, the legend, running Top Lobster. Jennings, how are you doing, my friend? Thank you for your time. I am doing well. How are you? Doing great, man. Running a little bit behind, but I'm, I'm uh, excited to jump in and talk about some of these things. Real quick, 30-second summary. Who are you? Where are you at? What are you doing? Uh, my name's Jennings DePriest. I am a fractional CMO and chief marketing officer. I'm based in Sarasota, Florida, and crushing it for you, a bunch of other companies uh, that I work with, um, my team works with to help get the leads that their sales teams need through branding and direct marketing. Bam. Awesome. And background in what coming into the, the marketing world? My background before marketing was lobbying and political consulting. Uh, I still do quite a bit of political advising. Uh, occasionally we'll get brought in not to lobby, but to advise on public affairs campaigns. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's all influence. It's all a matter of coming in, uh, understanding human psychology, understanding the ways to uh, put pressure on the mind uh, and to influence and shape people's opinions uh, towards the desired outcome. Bam. I think that that's for sure. And uh, you're talking pipeline database, you know, I think, right. When you're working, when you're working politics and, and, uh, your world, like you're working from a massive database, right? Yeah. I'm working from a scary, massive database, which is cool. We're able to bring in voter data to our marketing in most States. There are some States that don't allow it, but that's something that most marketers and most business people don't realize is most of the data that they look for, that they're paying other people for, they could just go to the government and ask for it and get it for free. Yeah, for sure. And I think you've done that for us as well. Really the like marketing is like, how can I shake up this database? So I think, you know, when you've been doing what you're doing, uh, you learn how to shake up the database, pull people through. And I guess, you know, like you said, stress the mind to pinch and push people for certain actions. So let's just hop into this, man. We'll start with the meet up front and then we'll kind of come back around from there. I'm super impressed with what you've built. Really, this is a broad one and we can dive into a bunch of different areas from it is, you know, how did you build a seven figure, not six figure, seven figure marketing company 
in the past two years because you started this, you were doing one thing, you had somewhat some results. And then in the last two years, you made drastic, massive changes to your company, how you ran it to literally be, you know, in the seven figure realm and threshold, right? Yeah. So biggest shift there, because I was at a six figure agency level, right? Primarily white labeling my services to a handful of small clients uh, who basically they had marketing clients, they bring me in, I would service them on the back end, uh, but I was acting as kind of the back end contractor. Biggest shift was, you know, going to Warrior Week, which you and I are both a part of and having that mindset set shift and that confidence to move from being the guy behind the scenes at someone else's company to being the guy who is the face of his own company, uh, which is a shift that a lot of people have a hard time making. And I had a hard time making. Uh, it was uh, difficult. It was a little scary. But at the end of the day, my company benefited from it massively. And yeah, we've done $2.3 million of revenue in the past two years. We're operating at like a 30 to 40% profit margin and rocking and rolling. Bam. That's awesome. I think one thing that kind of came to light from COVID, but I think that a lot of people took that, you know, working at another person's company, like there was safety and security in that. And that, the one thing that I realized, cause we've been, you know, jamming our own real estate, essentially company or entity for a long time is that the power is actually in you running your company. Like it's the security is not in you working somewhere else, but when you actually opened up your own company, you then take, you know, all accountability, which means you're, you're betting on yourself and investing in yourself to where you actually control it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the scariest piece was COVID hit right after I had had my son. I have a four-year-old and had really started hitting it as a like white label fractional CMO, basically white label creative company for public affairs firms. I made $30,000 the month before COVID hit. And I was like, yeah, this is working. I'm rocking and rolling. COVID hit that next month. I made $3,000, which was just a huge kick in the dick. And that shift and that mindset shift is something that most people still aren't getting because there's still this idea of like, oh, well, being an entrepreneur is a risk, which it is a risk, but the contrary isn't true, right? The opposite is not true. Being an entrepreneur is a risk. Therefore, being an employee is safe. Like, no, there's a risk in both, but the upside on the entrepreneur is way higher mm -hmm. because you can't find many jobs out there that pay you $300,000, $400,000 a year, but for entrepreneurship of some level, whether that means you're a real estate agent who's, you know, real estate agents are entrepreneurs, whether they realize it or not, whether you're, you know, a 1099 salesperson, that's one of those categories where you have that on uh, that ability to hit that mid to high six figure, seven figure range of take home. You're never going to find that as an employee, like outside of like truly being in the 1% of the 1% at a company, being the CEO, being C-suite level at a Fortune 500 company, most people are going to cap out at six figures uh, and like low six figures at that. So it, it's all about that risk reward formula. And the risk reward formula is highest for the people who are willing to take the risk to, again, be a true entrepreneur, be a true intrapreneur, or get into some type of uh, investing or sales or brokerage relationship. Yep. For sure. So yeah, entrepreneurial 
entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial studies, whatever you're looking at. Um, I think a lot of times people think of it almost as an, as an external search or journey. But I think everyone that I know, including ourselves, you know, that, that really entrepreneurial journey is an internal one. So like walk me through, and, and again, we can either dive in now or, or later on, but you know, we really want to hear, we want to hear the upside, the top side, the goods, the wins, but we also want to hear like, you know, that right there, what you already shared, I made 30,000 in a month, which is a pretty decent month. And then to go from that to the next month, okay, $3,000, you know, what is, what is that internal journey struggle look like for you when you walked away from the intrapreneurial studies from somewhere else to you opening up your own shop? Like what were some of the, the battles that you had kind of faced throughout that process? Yeah. So to be clear, the going from being kind of quasi entrepreneurial to being uh, truly in my own shop happened a year before COVID. I was at a company. They were a software company. I had done their marketing for a year. We had started working on our own app together. Uh, that was starting to hit it. And I got to a point that January would have been January 2019, where I was like, look, I'm walking away. I'm walking away from a solid salary. Uh, I'm not going to make any money this next month. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Uh, I was too afraid to tell my wife that I was making this move. <laughs> um, so I didn't. I was just like, we're going big, going home. And it wasn't until the end of that February that I was like, hey, by the way, I don't have a salary anymore went over better than it probably should have. Um, but that's uh, right about the time I really went in with Warrior and did uh, Warrior Wealth back then and started that mental process. And uh, one of my favorite authors, Stefan Arneo, talks about it as like the cash-free diet. And it's a lot like fasting. If you're not able to fast, you're not going to succeed in your health. If you're not able to fast from cash, you're not going to be able to succeed in business because look, I don't care how successful you are as a business owner. If you're not willing to say, Hey, I am willing to go without for a short period of time, knowing I'm going to be able to do more in the future. Like you're not going to succeed. Uh, you and I have a mutual friend who shared with me uh, about, his 2008 story, because, you know, our generation, we have a 2020 story, yeah. right? We all have COVID stories as entrepreneurs. Guys who are a little bit older have a 2008 story. 2008, he had to go without taking an income for six months, so he didn't have to fire any of his team members. But it bought him massive loyalty to be able to go on that cash-free diet that you don't get if you're not willing to sit there in the discomfort. And not willing to, and you're not willing to trust that God is going to provide for you, and God's going to provide for your family. Now, that's not saying you sit on your hands. You have to work. It's a good push forward when you're in that situation to do the work that's necessary to continue to put food on the table, not just for you, but for your employees. But it's really about being able to sit there with some discomfort and sit there with some stress. Uh, look, I had, I didn't have any gray hair when I. Uh, started entrepreneurship <laughs> and uh, you can see the side of my head now. That's not like a hop on the struggle bus, like like the, the struggle porn that I see a lot of entrepreneurs post drives me crazy. Yep. You do have to be willing to like tolerate a certain level of discomfort. Yeah, hundred percent. Dude, it's funny that you're saying that because it's like, I think we're kind of, we are in the middle of exactly that to where, and I think I was talking to Nisa about this yesterday to where, we're also, we're, we are kind of 
walking away from norm, like what we've normally been doing, because we're like, I see changes, like massive changes coming to, to where it's just, it's interesting that, that you talk about that. And I think one of the things that's been coming up is trying to control situations, you know, and you trying to control the situation, like very intently is, is like your lack of faith in God's plan. So God's plan is working. And, and yeah, absolutely. You being able to, to fast in, in the hunger or the deprivation of whatever you're determined to do is the ultimate faith in God, letting God's plan work itself out. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why you see throughout the Bible, like Christ says, when you fast, not if you fast. And that's speaking about food for like spiritual purposes, right? But we see this pattern of fasting. We see this pattern of faith plus works consistently. And the idea of fasting as a like broader concept, right? Because it's easy to talk about with food. Intermittent fasting is trendy. I'm doing, uh, if Coach Max watches this, he's going to kill me because he told me not to do this. But I'm doing uh, one meal a day for a week just to see what it's like uh, and see what results I get from it. Being able to sit in your hunger for whatever that is, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's you know food. If you're able to sit in your hunger, you're able to one, want it more, two, enjoy it more, and three, fight harder for it. Totally. All right. As we progress through here, because we'll probably take some side tangents, what was one of the biggest changes that that came from going like basically from going from a six-figure world to a seven-figure world? You know, mindset systems, programs, like what were some of the things that like massive changes that you had made to kind of get you to that next level? This is not going to be popular, but bringing more stuff in house was big for me. Okay. So uh, I had a few lines of business that I was basically just a broker for. And going from, hey, I'm a broker to, hey, I'm going to do this myself was a big shift. Uh, or, hey, I'm basically, I'm like a high level broker for this, but I could find a joint venture partner to work on this with where he's going to make more money and I'm going to make more money. And this is a true win-win situation. That was a big piece of this. The next piece was really establishing my own brand and having my own voice because uh, prior to that, I worked for people. I worked alongside people. I was very directly associated with like, I am the, like I'm a contractor for this brand, but I am this brand. Your brand value has so much revenue potential behind it that if you don't control the brand or your brand on some level, right? Whether that means you have a personal brand that's super strong. I uh, did a LinkedIn post this morning on personal branding, or you have a corporate brand that you control that's strong. That makes all the difference in the world because anyone, like truly anyone can go out and like be a contractor, right? But you need more than just being the contractor to make the money that you want to make. For sure. hundred percent. Interesting. When you actually, as we dive into these and again, as I bring in guests and read books and just learn and learn and learn financial freedom, you know what I mean? Like we always, I always love the concept of making more money when you actually like go through and you, you learn about people that make a lot of money versus people that make mid and low, you know, some of these habits with finances, the lower paid spectrum people doing the right habits can actually achieve financial freedom, like sometimes quicker than the higher high paid 
And it's just super interesting as far as, as those habits kind of come out and are intertwined with financial freedom. Well, part of that I think is the lower income people tend to have lower lifestyle, lower level lifestyles. So it's easier to reach that point of, and it depends on what you define as financial freedom. But the term that I've always seen is like, well, how could you survive without working? Right? Like, would you have enough passive income, enough investment income, enough revenue, enough like interest payments, enough dividends to allow you to not work? That's what I've seen is like the most stable definition of financial freedom. And some people take that in entirely the wrong way and they make an idolatry out of their own poverty. I see this really frequently within the church uh, of people who you know, there's the prosperity gospel, which is Joel Osteen and his absolute heresy. But on the other side, you have people, I can't think of the guy's name, but he wrote a book recently about like how, oh, it's called radical. Like Christians should be like poor and destitute and anything above sustenance is like sinful, which is also heresy, by the way. There's this point within that spectrum of truth of, hey, I can have a financially free life, but that doesn't mean I get to stop working, right? Yeah. Like the point of having financial freedom is that if you get hit by a meteor tomorrow and that's part of God's plan, your family's still taken care of. Like the Bible says, a man who does not care for his own family is worse than an unbeliever, right? Like you get into this idea of like, hey, I'm going to be financially free, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop working. The Bible's pretty clear on this. Six days you shall work and one day you shall rest. It's not like you just magically get to stop working uh, on this side of eternity. Yeah. Retirement borders on if not is like directly sinful. Totally. Okay. Let's dive in. So the company you run, Top Lobster. We want to hear the background where you got the name. Um, and then with Top Lobster, you know, some of the things you're doing like real estate marketing, handwritten mail outs that are super strategic. What is, and then like your fractional CMO program, like what does that look like? Take us through there. Yeah. So Top Lobster has been simplified uh, recently. So we're really just doing fractional CMO, uh, handwritten direct mail, and then we will do peer-to-peer -peer SMS only for political campaigns just because of FCC rules changing. But background on Top Lobster, uh, my wife and I were having a huge fight on Valentine's Day of 2018. Don't even remember what it was about. I went in our guest room at the time and was just mad. And I put on my audiobook, which was uh, at the time 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. There's this whole lobster thing. I'm sure somewhere in my text message thread, there's this like long explanation that I wrote to my wife about like the holding company and all the stuff I was doing because I was in multiple businesses at that point. I, I was involved in a daycare. I was involved in, I don't know a good way to phrase it, but I was involved in uh, a silver store. Uh, I was involved in uh, marketing and this app. And I'm like, this is going to be a holding company. I'm going to do all this cool stuff. Like didn't really have like this idea of like, oh, like I'm really good at marketing. I should lean into that. I was just like, I'm going to be good at business, right? Which we see you and I see young entrepreneurs do all the time. Like, I'm just, I'm going to go into business. It's like, okay, but like, what's your, like, what's your skill set? What's your secret sauce that you're going to bring into business to create value? So I named it after the first chapter of 12 rules for life, which is sit up straight with your shoulders back. Uh, and that's all about uh, how lobsters and humans have a very similar nervous system in 
our approach to dominance hierarchies. You can see a similar body language between lobsters and humans. Uh, so everybody's just trying to be the top lobster at the end of the day. That grew into a, we do all of these like one-off projects. We do small things. We do big things. We do ad campaigns. We do whatever. That's not our offer anymore. We still will like white label some websites. We'll still do like some small one-off projects for long time existing clients who are like, hey man, like you're the only person I trust to do a website. Okay, like cool, we'll do your website real quick. But in general, for new clients, we're only doing fractional CMO, which means we come in and we say, hey, we are your CMO now. Uh, this is not a, we are guiding your marketing team. This is, we are your new marketing team. And we are coming in with our graphic designers, our web developers, our copywriters, our media buyers, and we are running things. Uh, the reason we don't do like this outsourced piecemeal, there's a lot of fractional CMO companies out there that will come in and say like, hey, we're just going to oversee things and be strategic consultants. The reason we don't do that is those companies uh, then tend to pass the buck, right? Like, oh, well your team didn't do this or your team didn't do that. So therefore it's not our fault. It's not working. The buck stops with us when we come in and say like, Hey, we're your fractional CMO now, instead of having this like very weird relationship where we're like, Oh, well, we're a strategic consultant. And it's not our fault if it doesn't work. The next piece we do that Travis, I mean, you touched on is handwritten direct mail, which is probably my favorite offer right now, uh, just because it crushes and we're able to serve way more people. Like we have a pretty firm cap on the number of fractional CMO clients we take. But for handwritten direct mail, like you can call me today and we'll have handwritten direct mail out the door for you on Thursday. We have a, a joint venture partner who has 10 handwriting robots. Uh, they hold pins just like like G2 pilot. G2. Uh, so we use a uh, blue ink. Are you a 0.7 guy or a 0.5 guy? 0.7. Okay, cool. Like 0.5 guys, there's something wrong with them. Right. The 10 too, the 0.1. The 0.1? Yeah, they have they have a 1.0 that's like a big fat roller. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I could jam on that. But like I thought you were saying like a 0.1. I'm like, oh, oh no, no. Man, that would no. be too, too small. The cool thing is it, I wish I had one on my desk right now. I don't, but it comes in a standard envelope, normal stamp, Handwritten, we use blue ink because it makes it more clear that it's not like inkjet printed, uh, has indentations on it. You can clearly tell that this is something that looks and feels handwritten. Uh, the robots are super advanced to the point where it's not just like printing the font. It actually has like it will use like three different O's and like five different T's. And it's almost impossible to tell that it's not somebody's true handwriting. Uh, and the reason we started doing that was on the political mail side, I saw my neighbor throw away a mail piece that I had designed. Yeah. Like, we were both getting our mail at the same time. He like checks the mail and then like immediately throws the mail piece in the trash can. I'm like, something is terribly wrong here. If my mail that I put this work into is just getting thrown in the trash. And the reason for that is, you know, people don't want to be sold. They don't want to be influenced politically. So when they see something that looks political, they see something that looks salesy. It just goes in the trash before it makes it in the house. The handwritten direct mail makes it in the house because people think like, oh, well, maybe this is like something from a family member or my grandma, or I'm not sure my wife my other favorite example knows what I do for a living. 
understands handwritten direct mail. And she still opened up a handwritten direct mail piece from the Jehovah's witnesses like two weeks ago. Cause you don't know, you don't yeah. know what you're going to get. And getting people to open the envelope and read the message is half the battle. We have like a 98% open rate on these. Like people don't throw these away. People open them and read them and respond, which is why we get like a five to 11% response rate, which is unheard of. If you look at postcards, Yep. We also do it in a super targeted way. We have, uh, you touched on this earlier, my background prior to getting into business was military intelligence. I was a specialist with uh, targeting packets. We're really good at targeting. We can target, hey, I just pulled people in Hillsborough County who have houses that are worth over a million dollars that have pools who have birthdays in October. Like, we can get very granular on this. And by the way, their houses are owner occupied. These aren't Airbnbs. We can do the opposite and say like, hey, this house has a pool and it's an out of town owner. So we want to target them for my wife has a pool company for pool cleaning services or whatever. I strongly believe that short of someone being like very, very protected uh, in terms of like, I'm obviously not going to be able to target CIA agents like cops and detectives are hard to target because they have a lot of public records exemptions around them. Most people are a targeted audience in some way, shape or form, and you can reach them with direct mail in a way that you legally can't with other platforms, right? So you legally can't mass email consumers who have not opted into your list. Uh, if you're not a political campaign, you can't legally text a whole bunch of people to come out to your real estate event uh, if they haven't opted into your campaign. If you're targeting people and they aren't on Facebook, you're going to have a hard time. But the beauty of mail is everybody has a mailbox except for, yeah. you know, vagrants and vagrants, you know, probably aren't your target audience anyways, because they don't have money to spend. So let me rephrase this. Everyone with money has a mailbox. Yeah. Uh, and then the peer to peer SMS piece doesn't really apply to your audience unless anybody's running for political office. Uh, if you need to send mass political text messages, I'm your guy. You legally have to have somebody click send on every message. We have a team that does that. Uh, we're able to send video messages, uh, normal text messages with pictures. Again, very cool, but only available to the political audience. The gray area of like, oh, well, we're sending it individually is something that we're not messing around with just because the FCC has fined some people for it. It's a $500 fine per text message. When you consider that a normal campaign for us is like 10 to 20,000 messages, that that's a lot of money to mess up. Yeah. With. So political only. Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, cool. And so we, we dove into CMO and all that stuff. We're again, we're, we're loving it. So it's, it's pretty amazing to kind of partner with you real quick. So who you are like from born and raised in Florida, what, what got you to warrior where we met? Yeah. So born and raised in Florida, went to Florida state for college, met my wife there at a protest. That's a whole fun story, but was a lobbyist for a period of time and then went into one of my clients to help them sell to the government and sell to schools, sell to like groups. So I was going in to do sales uh, and I very quickly discovered that I hate cold calling. Uh, there are people out there who love cold calling more power to them. I hire them regularly because I don't like doing it. Uh, I'm good at doing it. I just hate it. And I don't like doing things I hate. 
uh, if there's a better way of doing things. So I saw an ad for uh, Russell Brunson's funnel course. Uh, it was back when I think it was just expert secrets out and went in and was like, I'm buying this. We're doing this. I'm going to generate leads. We're going to like whatever it takes to generate leads without me calling people like that's what we're going to do. So I went hard on click funnels and there was a big like funnel hacking live event and I didn't go to it because like I had stories around it, whatever. But Garrett J. White, who was the founder of Wake Up Warrior, uh, was at the event and he was selling these books. And I'm a big book guy, if you can't tell, for a hundred bucks a piece. And it was the Warrior Black Book. And I'm like, there is no way I'm spending a hundred dollars on a book. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like that, like I'm not doing this. Uh, again, a bunch of stories around money that I had to get over to be an entrepreneur. Because if you think $100 is too much to spend on a book, uh, you're probably not going to be able to sell people very effectively. You have to get that money story out of your head. So anyway, uh, fast forward a few months. And instead of just the book, it was this whole challenge. At the time, it was called the King's Kit Challenge. Probably the best program Wake Up Warrior ever put together. And got into it did the King's kit challenge, got to the end. And they're like, Hey, $500 a month to like hang out in the group. I'm like, I don't have $500 a month. Again, another story around money that I needed to get over later ended up at warrior wealth, uh, which was a $5,000 event. I lied to my wife on that. I told her it was a $500 event that went over like a Led Zeppelin when I told her how much it cost. Cause this was like four months before our son was born. Ended up not moving forward with the upsell on that, which was like a $35,000 upsell, which was mind blowing amounts of money to me at that time. I was making like 60,000 a year. So like spending more than half of my income on a program, like could not wrap my head around. Uh, it was literally what I made each month, right? Cause it was $35,000 over six months. So it, it was more than what I made each month. Then from that point <laughs> though, I guess there was a fun lesson in there because at the time I was like, hey, I like I had sold these contracts where I was like, you know, I'll be at like 15,000 a month by the time I show up at Warrior Wealth. Like it's going to be great because that's 180,000 a year. It's going to be awesome. I didn't realize that just because somebody signs a contract doesn't mean they're actually going to pay you. Yeah. So learn that lesson the hard way. I learned that lesson as principal broker for a real estate company that you learn that contracts are just a suggestion. Yeah. Contracts are just a suggestion if you don't have moral values. And there's a lot of people who don't have moral values out there. And then like, I don't know about you, but I wanted to believe the best in people. So I was still doing the work, even though they weren't paying because I was like, they were like, oh yeah, we'll pay later. We'll pay yeah. later. Pay later. So anyway, I went through Warrior Wealth, kind of stayed adjacent to the Warrior community for a while. Uh, stayed friends with a guy that I went to Warrior Wealth with. Uh, you know him as Coach David. And, uh, lat or goodness, I want to say, I said, I almost said last year, cause it feels like last year, it feels like a lifetime ago, but also 10 seconds ago, David reaches out and he's like, Hey, I want to talk to you about warrior week. I'm like, cool. I'm all in. And Sam reaches out and he's like, Hey, warrior week. It's the, I think it was like the last week of April. I'm like, that's committee weeks. I, I was still doing a lot of legislative marketing at that time. I'm like, there's no way I can make it. Like I can't come. I will lose my clients. I committed to them to like be available for this. I make a ton of money like April and October are my two best months of the year, like consistently because of political and legislative stuff. He's like, oh, it's a story. 
you know how coach Sam is. He doesn't like being told no on a call. He texts me a few months later and he's like, Hey, where are your week 65? I'm like, I'm all in. He's like, I didn't tell you the dates. I'm like, don't care. I'm all in. I, I'm going. I told you I just couldn't do that last week in April. That that week didn't make sense for me. So came into Warrior Week. My circle just graduated and became a chapter this August. Uh, so I've been in for a little over two years. Life has completely changed. Went from renting a house to I now own a million dollar house uh, in between two lakes. I have an incredible relationship with my wife. We had our uh, second kid, a uh, little girl six months ago, almost seven months ago, and couldn't be happier. I'm also the CMO of Warrior Week now, uh, helping bring other men into the field, other men into the fold of Warrior. Uh, because Warrior Week changed my life to a level where I am not doing my duty as a man if I'm not helping other men, other married businessmen come into this. Because uh, I, I truly don't believe that I would still like be married or alive if it wasn't for warrior week. Like I was, I mean, I was in a dark place going in great quote. I heard from another one of our brothers this morning was nobody joins warrior week on a win streak. Yeah, totally. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. We could have a whole, we could have a whole episode on, on warrior and what that did. Yeah. I went through warrior week 46 back in 2017, 18, uh, when I was, you know, personal and business, you know, running my own real estate brokerage and everything was, I don't want to say crashing to the ground, but like definitely in a funk. Yeah. We were stuck in a certain place for a few years and warrior week was definitely the catalyst to go get the kick in the balls that I needed at the time, you know, body being balanced in business as the core of it. And just all of those things were just that mediocre came back a different person. And then same thing. I stayed adjacent after 1718 being through Warrior Week, stayed adjacent with it. There was a beta program that was out that I was living on. Garrett never shut down the beta. And I was literally living the Warrior's way. Like yeah. with this with this beta, with the beta. Same Z's. Okay. <laughs> it's funny because all of a sudden, after like a couple of years of this, and like Nisa, I had Nisa on it, living the Warrior's way, using the beta program. And all of a sudden one day I go to use it and it was like shut down. And I was like, oh my God. And I reached out. I was like, um, I, I need this. And they're like, that's so funny. Like 20, you guys have all reached out around the same time. But yeah, it's, we could go, have, we could dive deep into that. Definitely catalyst for changing life. So can, can I tell you my, my experience with that access? <laughs> yeah. I still have it. Not the, the beta, beta version. No, they, after, after uh, Warrior Wealth, they like felt bad for me and I think just like comped me on a membership. I thought it was just going to be for the year. They've never shut it down. There have been other guys like Ephraim got kicked off like a few months ago. I'm still running and I hope like I, 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 I don't know how long I'm going to be on the system. I think like for a while I was like, they, they offered a lifetime membership at one point. I must have bought the lifetime membership, but I've said that. And everyone I've said that to has been like, bro, there was never a lifetime offer. And I'm like, I'm 90% sure there was a lifetime offer that I bought. Like, yeah. So I don't know on that, but yeah, same. The, the software is good, right? The stack is valuable. Uh, the tracking is valuable. I do most of my tracking pen and paper now, just because I don't like pulling out my phone the second I wake up. It's not 
like good for me, but yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we could keep, we could go on to some side curtains, maybe episode number two or three, we'll dive more into that. Yeah. So as we kind of head towards wrapping up again, overview, cause we'll probably have an like episode two or three where we could go all into AI. Like how are you utilizing AI and how do you see it changing the ecosystem, the marketing world? Like how do you use it and how do you see it changing everything? Yeah, so I use AI as an assistant, right? There's some people who are like, I'm going to replace my whole team with AI. Like my team uses AI to assist them, uh, not to replace them, right? And that's a very important piece, particularly for guys who own an agency. If your team feels like they're going to be replaced by technology, they're not going to use it. and They're certainly not going to use it well. So what we do with AI that's kind of cool is we train AI based on our clients' voices. So we have like a Sam Falsafi voice. We have a uh, Travis Ferris voice. We have all of these voices that we train so that when we write content and we write content originally, like, hey, we're going to do this, we can then say, hey, AI, rewrite this so you sound like Sam. Rewrite this so you sound like Travis. And what that does is it makes brands more authentic, which is something that marketers have always lacked unless they had like a very, very high level copywriter. My copywriter, Gracie, is phenomenal. She's really good at matching voices. She's done that professionally. Uh, But to be able to match voices for like 25 different clients is very hard. Uh, So this helps her match voice, uh, which is super useful. The other big thing we're working on is conversational AI. Uh, which is kind of that like cutting edge thing that everybody's talking about, like AI chatbots. We've stayed away from them historically, but they're finally getting to a point where they are useful for clients and they're useful for that immediate engagement and qualification of a lead versus previously it was like there, it was like the AI support, right? Where it's like, which one of these is your problem? Like it's, it's truly becoming conversational And now that it's becoming conversational, it's getting to a point where we're building that into systems and workflows uh, for lead follow-up. Because look, the number one issue we have with clients, I can generate leads for you all day. If you don't follow up with them, uh, you're you're not going to get the return on investment that you want. So that's something that we look for when we're looking for fractional CMO clients is people who are already crushing it in sales, which is why we were willing to work with you. Uh, who truly just need more leads. We have, we're rolling out a program to have setters, have qualifiers and have closers because it's something that people need inside of their marketing ecosphere uh, ecosystems. But we're trying to supplement that with AI because especially in the real estate world, right? Like, do you know the average n- national average conversion rate for a real estate lead? I mean, I, I, knowing it is either half a percent, maybe one, per, one, well, I'll say 1%. And that's being kind 0.4%. Yeah. Hey, half a percent. Come on. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. You're, you're right there. Now, again, part of that is there's a ton of realtors who suck. Like, and I know most of your audience is realtors, but like a lot of you suck. <laughs> you're, you're like, it, it, it blows my mind when I speak to a realtor who's like, I do two deals a year. I'm like, why, why do you even have a license? Like, I will say if you're listening to this, you probably don't suck because you're diving in to learn and better yourself. So the people that aren't listening to this are, are probably the people we're talking about. Okay, probably. That's, that's a better way to phrase it. So your, uh, uh, your guests don't riot. 
But yeah, look, there's 440,000 realtors in the state of Florida. Like, I don't think there's 440,000 homes on the market in the state of Florida. Totally. And it's it's a problem when it comes to lead conversion, right? Because more than 0.4% of those people were probably interested in buying a house. People just don't convert the leads that get generated for them. Uh, so we're trying to take care of some of that and some of that vetting process with conversational AI. But lead quality and that lead vetting can only go so far. You have to have a good sales process, which is why, Travis, I, I don't know if you've taken a look at it. We have that crazy flow chart of how to follow up with a lead after we generate the lead for you. And we automate as much of it as possible. But if you don't answer the phone, like don't come crying to me when you're leads aren't converting because you weren't willing to talk to the leads that were generated. Yeah, for sure. Don't be mad at the results you don't have based on the work you didn't do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Uh, wake up call. And again, it's like, it's okay to be a little harsh and not in a bad way, in a negative way. But the reality is 30% of the industry in real estate have exited the industry year to date. 50% of lenders have exited lo the loan world year to date. What are you doing? What are, what are you setting your, how are you setting yourself apart? How are you making sure? Because here's the thing, things are still moving. Homes are still getting bought. Homes are still being sold. People are still moving. The fact is you need to stay in front of those people. So real quick, where's Top Lobster going? Where are you going? Like what, what's next and where are you guys headed? Yeah, so Top Lobster, we're continuing to uh, grow our fractional CMO program. Uh, we have eight slots left for the year for anyone who is looking to become a fractional CMO client. Uh, that's not a BS number. I have to hire more people and train more people. Uh, if we go beyond that eight and uh, we're not doing that until Q1 of next year, just because hiring and training is a very intensive process with us. But that's our primary focus as far as Top Lobster. On the collab side where we're collaborating is one of the areas I'm most excited about because uh, we're coming in and we're getting more agents into collab for you. Uh, we're generating leads like crazy. We're getting leads for you right now at like 463 a lead on Facebook, uh, which is pretty solid, especially if you can convert at a higher than a 0.4% rate. By the way, I, I did the math on this. Uh, for an average $500,000 home, if you only convert at a 0.4% rate, you can spend up to $140 a lead and still be profitable, which is kind of crazy. Yes. So at like $5 a lead, if you're converting at like a collab acceptable rate of like that two to 3%, which anyone who's listening to this, who's not in real estate is like, oh my goodness, two to 3% conversion. Like that's terrible. Like, yeah, I agree with you. However, there are a bunch of looky loos who are like, oh, well maybe I'll buy this who just like aren't there. There are some legitimate reasons that 0.4% is the rate for you guys. Cause every industry has lazy salespeople. It's just easy to rag on real estate when you can see the potential upside. Yeah, absolutely. Growing that out, uh, blowing that up. You've seen the results of it so far. And then our other big focus for this year and next year is our handwritten direct mail offer. You know, when my wife, who, if she had paid like our normal rate, would have spent $3,000 on direct mail and made $150,000 in new pool jobs, like... I'll take that return on ad spend all day. Uh, yeah. Started calling it return on mail buy because we don't want people thinking we're doing like ads in the mail. It's a conversational piece, handwritten envelope. But 
the the results that we're getting there. I mean, the very first call that you know one of our mutual brothers got was for a guy who owned a mil- he does home remodeling, owns a million dollar home, wants to do a kitchen and two bathrooms. Like, okay, yeah, this this makes all of the sense in the world. That's the other place that we're leaning into. And in terms of me personally, I don't see myself leaving the marketing space. Uh, I don't see myself leaving Sarasota anytime soon, as long as the Florida government keeps Florida free and uh, my work and the work of uh, my colleagues in the political industry keeps uh, Republicans winning. Oh, sorry. Did I get political there? Oops. (laughs) That's okay. I said Florida government like is my thing. So I, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised when they find out. I mean, I have Atlas shrugged on the shelf behind me. Like should not be a surprise to anyone. That That's the direction. I'm going to uh, stay in this realm of marketing and influence and business. I, I've found my superpower, which is influencing people to do stuff. Uh, it's just way more fun to do on a mass scale than do it on that individual scale of like lobbying. So, you know, when you're able to, generate hundreds of thousands of petitions into a government official's office overnight when you're able to generate leads for $5 a pop that are going to turn into, you know, a $500,000 home sale. I I think I would be doing my clients and doing myself a disservice to not keep leaning into that. Boom, for sure. We're super excited about it. Uh, Glad to have you in our collab world. Biggest pearl for guests, that's what we'll kind of wrap up with is like, what is that like, you know, you talked about stories around money, dealing with personal development to like get to the next level. What would you say like somebody listening here today that's either at a job looking at starting their own company is just in sales, in marketing, like what would be like that one pearl you'd be like, do this? We're talking like a business owner? Yeah. So somebody in the- Charge more. Charge more. Charge more, charge more. And if you're in like real estate, work with higher value houses. Like, I mean, keep, keep this in mind, right? It takes the exact same amount of work to sell a $500,000 house as it does a million dollar house. And you can come to me and say like, oh, well, you have to do fancier pictures and more marketing for a million dollar house. How much actual extra time is it taking you? right? Same thing with sales, right? It takes the same amount of work, actually probably a little bit more work to sell somebody on $500 versus $500,000. My constant mantra in business and my mantra for my clients is charge more or do things that are going to create more income for you. Because the people who are the most successful in business are the people who charge the most and who serve the people who have the highest value items, right? Like, you can have an exponential growth based on linear levels of input. So selling two $500,000 houses versus selling one $1 million house is probably going to take you about twice the time to make the same money. But, oh, well, it's, it's, you know, you hear people who are negative about it. I'm not a luxury broker. I don't have that brand. Like, if you only targeted million dollar houses, you're telling me you don't think you can get more of those than $500,000 houses. Like you you really don't believe in yourself to that level. Yeah. It's going to take a little bit more work. If it takes you an extra two hours to sell a million dollar house versus a $500,000 house, but you're doubling your income, you're not going to make that decision. And same thing for business people and salespeople in here, salespeople like go find a better offer. Like, Find an offer that's going to pay you more. Get good at this offer, have that result, and then go find that next big offer because there's people like Oren Claff out there who he sells like 
$200 million at a time and is compensated accordingly and has the lifestyle that reflects that. And then business owners just, just charge more. Like, trust me, that's my whole thing. If you charge more, you will be more successful. Your marketing will work better. Like everything gets better the second you double your prices. For sure. And AKA, you are your brand. Just if, for those people like wondering about the luxury, you are the brand. So if you question your yeah. your ability and brand to be a luxury agent, you're questioning yourself because again, you are the brand. And then there's transactional fees. So again, if I can do the same amount of volume, but half the transactions, I'll actually make more money as well because there are transactional expenses that come with that as well. So Jennings, dude, we went through some fire content for everybody listening. Again, I think a great foundational episode. We'll have more later on. Where can people find you? Where can they go online or social to, to, to find Jennings? Yeah, I'm going to hack this real quick and say we're going to go back to discussing this a little bit more in depth. When when you made the comment about transactional fees, that, that's my other piece of advice other than just charge more is measure the right things. You and I had this discussion yesterday. There's people within EXP Collab World who are like, I want a downline of like 1300 people. And it's like, do you want a downline of 1300 people? Or do you want to like take home a certain like revenue? Right. Cause maybe instead of having 1300 people, you can have 500 people who cap and you're going to be in a better place. Like yep. just, just have higher quality people. Uh, you can find me on toplobster.com. Uh, most social media platforms. I'm at Jennings Lawton, L A W T O N here to help out. Feel free to DM me whatever questions you have, but here to help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jennings. Remember always, thanks for tuning in for Coffee for Closers because that's the type of people we bring in is to help you bring in business, sales, and close. Thanks so much. Enjoyed this episode of Coffee for Closers? Subscribe to the show anywhere you find podcasts. And follow Collab Agents on social at Collab Agents.